Hello. Welcome to Speaking Candidly with Candace, where we talk in depth with everyday people about their fears, struggles, and their triumphs over mental health issues. I'm your host, Candace Schoner, and I hope over the next half hour, you will be engaged, enlightened, and inspired to live your very best life. My guest today is Judy Gaelic, the founder of Passage LLC, on a mission to reduce addiction relapse. Originally from Haiti, Judy moved to the U.S. in 1999. After high school, she joined the Army National Guard and ended up homeless for several months as a result of being the victim of financial fraud. She eventually went on to college and received her MBA from Western Governors University in Healthcare Management. Welcome, Judy, to the podcast. Thank you very much, Candy. It's, it's truly an honor to be here with you today. Thank you. Well, as you know, we talked previously, I found your story very interesting, and I have to applaud you for your resist, resilience. Um, before we talk about your work at Passage, can you share with the audience a little bit more about your background and when you first started working with those addicted to alcohol and drugs? Uh, sure, absolutely. So that's a question a lot of people have been asking me recently, and I've yet to come up with a clear and concise way of explaining exactly how I find myself on this journey. But I like to think that um, this mission found me just how uh, one thing led to another um, in my life. Um, and about three, three and a half years ago, I uh, interviewed for a position um, the family engagement specialist at a residential program. And it wasn't until I started working there, um, educating the families and working with people who were uh, receiving treatment from for drug and alcohol addiction that I realized um, my relationship was toxic. So being in that position truly opened my eyes and I had the opportunity to work with the families and the people struggling with drug and alcohol addiction. And it was that position, that experience that truly um, helped me see the discrepancies, the disconnect between families and their loved ones struggling with drug and alcohol addiction. And I feel like it's my duty, my responsibility to, to connect the dot for people who are willing to learn and interested in being better support systems for their loved ones. When you say that um, you learned three years ago that your relationship was toxic. Are you talking about a family relationship well, or spouse, which is basically family, but are you talking about your marriage or other relationships? Um, my marriage for the most part, but my relationship with um, other family members as well is toxic. Um, yeah, I, I was, I mean, like, as you just mentioned, um, the family fraud, it was, it was a family. It, it was a family who, who took all my money <laughs> when I went to basic training and um, AIT, individual, I forgot what exactly what it stands for, but um, AIT is the next thing after basic. And I had accumulated close to, I would say $10,000 and all that money was gone because a family took the money. But there's a lot of, um, um, I would say, like incest and misunderstanding in my family. 
um, mm-hmm. things that I had to work through and just being in the recovery field, you know, like um, working on myself, implementing the skills and the tools I was teaching the families to better understand their loved ones. It wasn't until then that I had a better um, understanding of, of my background and uh, move through that, you know, how, work through it. How did you get over, and then we can talk about how do other people get over it, and I know there's no one treatment for everybody, but how do you get over something like somebody in your personal family stealing that kind of money from you? You, you know, um, I think everything I've been through kind of um, led me to where I am today. So we, it's, it's something I'm very grateful for. Um, and I guess it's, uh, it's a two different choices we have. Something, a concept I've been talking about often um, for the past month or so. Um, whether we're going to choose to see something in a positive way or see it in a negative way. And I am someone, before I, I um, got into the recovery field, I was very angry, very mad, upset with the world, couldn't understand why all these things were happening to me. Um, but it wasn't until I start, started shifting my perspective, understanding that, okay, well, I only have two choices because the past happened. It already happened. I cannot change it. Right. 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 And if I if I continue to tell the story of, you know, why me, poor me, um, why did my life have to be so, so difficult? Why did I have to go through all those things that I went through? How come other people seem to have it easier than than I am? In essence, like comparing my life to other people, which which never works out for anyone who's doing that. Right. So truly learning to put the focus on me and um, deciding that I was going to look at my story in a positive way and be grateful that it happened because now I have a better insight on things. I have um, a broader perspective, I, I guess, more better understanding, you know, of um, how everything happens to one's benefit. It's up to us to see it as so or not. When you were going through um, everything that you went through, did you have a support system and who was that? Was it professional support, family support, friend support? Um, no, actually. Um, I did not have a support system per se. I guess um, like mentors, uh, like, you know, people who, who authors, um, podcasts, uh, people who have podcasts out there, just educating myself really and um, listening to other people's stories and reading. I did a lot of reading. I mean, in the past three years or so, I must have read like um, like 250 some books. Wow. On, on, yeah, mental health, personal development, um, you know, uh, everything, like the self-help industry i just dove head first into it and and that what i noticed is that everybody's saying the same thing and i and i figured you know if everybody's saying the same thing what do i have to lose you know i got to a point where i was just tired of being tired and i just wanted to to have a better experience a different experience um so i made the decision to turn things around and i just dove head first so do you believe that it's sort of mind over matter that what we think 
can change how we feel and how we behave? Yep, absolutely. Um, matter of fact, Brooke Castillo, I mean, I would say she's my secret mentor. I mean, she's somebody I look up to a lot. Um, she's the she's the person who's actually, I mean, like when she says certain things, it just resonates with me. Um, and it, it's so simple. The model that she uses in her coaching, it, it's very simple. And it's, it's something that I've also adopted just being through the life coach school. Brooke Castillo is the founder and owner of the life coach school. Um, and that's the model she used, you know, circumstances, knowing that we have absolutely zero control over the circumstances in life. And then we have our thoughts about those circumstances, you know, and our thoughts are optional. Um, I always thought that, you know, um, I wouldn't be thinking this if so-and-so did not do X, Y, Z. But even though people are behaving how they're behaving, I am still in control of what I think. Like I can decide to see something in a positive light or a negative light. And based on that thinking, those thought processes, I will feel a certain thing. You know, if I'm thinking negatively, then I will most likely... Um, be experiencing a negative emotion and then those emotions are what inspire us people in general to act a certain way and everything is in line like it's impossible to get oranges from an apple tree is something i say you know like you cannot be experiencing negative thoughts and then feel something positive from it it just doesn't work that way Interesting. But, um, yeah, yeah. So that's a that's a model. It's what I actually use in my coaching because I find it so simple. And when I explain it to other people, it also helps them understand things to a to a certain extent. Like it's it's a better way of understanding putting our thoughts and and our thinking, our brain on paper, and seeing it exactly how it's affecting us. Well, and I love the the analogy about you know you can't pick apples from an orange tree or vice versa. Um, mm -hmm. You actually had quite a bit of experience uh, when we talked. You said that you were working with Spectrum Health Systems, a rehab organization for drug and alcohol addiction for about three years. What was that experience like? It was amazing. I, I loved it. Um, and I can tell you, Candy, like when I first walked through those doors for my interview, um, the feeling I experienced was that as though I was walking into my house, like I was walking home. Um, and it, it's just, it, it's a beautiful facility. Um, the people are great. And I was actually in a position where I had to teach myself and I had a lot of autonomy. Um, great supervisors who were very um, supportive and just encouraged me to um, keep learning and implement those things I was learning you know I had um, the family engagement program that I that I um, manage and I had basically full autonomy to to educate people and and um, you know help people have a better experience and supporting their loved ones through recovery but if it wasn't that experience I don't think I would be doing what I'm doing now um, again it was because of that experience that really like that experience truly opened my eyes to really seeing the discrepancies, the disconnect between the, the family members and their loved ones um, who are receiving treatment. Even now in my own private practice, um, just working with the families, 
um, there's still that disconnect. And that's where the coaching comes in. And it allows me to truly see the, the, the shift that happens in, in people when they come to understand the recovery process and how they can actually be better supporters. Well, good for you. But isn't it true that 90% of those who get treatment for alcohol or drug addiction relapse after 30 days? Um, yes, but the caveat to that is that um, people with better family support system, I would say um, effective family support system, do a lot better than those without the effective family support, you know? Um, someone with um, who is supported fully, effectively by family members who are understanding and loving can actually go into a treatment and don't experience any relapses at all. And, and if a relapse happened, it would probably be like months or years down the line, right? Because... <laughs> Go ahead. Sorry. No, you're fine. Um, give me an example of, say, someone that you worked with um, at the rehab center. Can you, and without naming names, can you kind of share a story, hopefully a successful story? You can share one that wasn't ending in success, but just to get a feel for the background and, and how this all worked. Sure, absolutely. So um, in that position, I... Again, I, I work with both the family and their loved ones um, receiving treatment. And I can remember specifically one, one person, a male, he was there receiving treatment and his parents, um, he was married. I don't think he had children, uh, but him and his wife were not in agreement. She was getting fed up. She was being um, told that, you know, she has to kick him out and, um, that was the only way he would, he would learn the lesson or whatnot. Right. So he went and lived with his parents, but then the parents were somewhat too lenient. They did not have clear defined, um, boundaries. Um, they just allowed certain behaviors kind of like put up with certain behaviors, um, without like asking for, for any, any improvement on his part. And I can remember a, a family meeting I had with, with the three of them, the parents and the person receiving treatment. And we had a conversation about how it would benefit everyone if there was some type of boundaries in place, um, some type of understanding, okay, well, this is, these are the sets of activities you're going to do for your recovery. And this is a set of activities we're going to do for our recovery. And coming together perhaps once a week and having a conversation about how um, they were all progressing in their, in their goals for the week. But the mom was somewhat um, skeptical to implement some, any boundaries because she was so scared that, you know, implementing certain boundaries would be what forced him to like over that edge, so to speak. Like she was scared to, to ask for what she needed. Um, and uh, he would come into treatment and, and left. And, um, you know, I, I remember maybe like two weeks or not, like not less than a month, I would say, and he would, back, he would be back in treatment. So 
it's one thing I, I talk about a lot. Like, you know, just as someone struggling with drug and alcohol addiction, they have to be willing to admit that there is an issue, that they need help. The families also have to come to that point that there is an issue, that they need help. Um, what I see happen is that family members will try everything and anything first, um, thinking that, okay, well, this thing I'm, I'm doing is what's going to help. Um, in essence, trying to control the recovery or the outcome of it and not willing to um, implement effective coping skills and tools to truly um, support this person through. When people enter, say, the rehab organization that you were involved in, do you find that most do it out of a court order, family order, or basically check themselves in? Um, I would say family, family or check themselves in. Um, it was a private um, rehabilitation, private insurance. Um, so you don't see a lot of um, people being caught or ordered to these type of treatments. But um, yeah, I mean, like it's a it's a mix. You know, some people I saw went there to kind of just appease the family members um, because family members kind of um, put that ultimatum in place. Hey, you have to complete 30 days of treatment before you can return home. Um, so that person will will go and just kind of like try to stay there as long as possible up to the 30 days to just return home. In essence, not really um, engaging or um, being fully present, fully yeah, present, fully, in present the... fully present and doing that deep, deep work that's required to truly find peace of mind and recover. And I'm guessing that those people that are court ordered or family force them to go are probably in the higher percentile for relapsing. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, recovery is one of those things that you have to do for yourself. You know, like you can't um, you cannot do it for someone else. Like when when the when the struggle gets real, something I say, you know, you know, when the when the tough gets going, um, a lot of people kind of give in and cave in because you have to have. A, a big enough reason you know to stick with it and and see it through how do you feel about those and we, you talked about the case earlier where the i think it was the mother or the wife got fed up and kind of wanted to do something maybe tough love kick the person out of the household so how do you feel about tough love is that too much of a boundary is that not even a boundary at all i don't know um, it's a boundary. I feel like there's a fine line between effective support and enabling or what someone would say, um, being too lenient and tough love. But I mean, like, it's the intention, right? Um, if I am kicking someone out of my house, because I've been told and advised, that's what's truly going to help this person hit rock bottom rock bottom, meaning like that person um, being tired of it and, and wanting recovery for themselves, right? Um, then that may not work, right? But if I am truly and authentically just, you know, can't, t can't take it anymore, I cannot um, stand this person in my house, I've tried everything, it's hard to communicate with person and I've tried to implement boundaries and I'm not respecting my boundaries and the person surely will not be respecting my boundaries if I'm not and I don't see any other way out then you know like kicking someone out is like the last resort 
but I don't believe in tough love because if if a family member is truly taking care of him or herself and implementing, you know, tools and, and truly being effective of how they are supporting, then it's impossible to reach that breaking point, you know, because if you're always keeping your glass full, so to speak, you're always going to have more to give. But when you're not taking care of yourself and you're running on, on empty, there's nothing else to give, if that exactly. makes any sense. Oh, no, I've been there. I'm a yeah. child of a father who was an alcoholic and he was a mean alcoholic. And um, I know that they were happy, fun-loving alcoholics and addicts, but uh, he was not one of them. So I definitely hear you. We've got about five minutes left and I want to go back to the 250 books that you read, mm-hmm. which, by the way, I'm not even sure I read that many in college. I certainly <laughs> haven't read that many since I graduated college. Can you give some names of some books that you think would be helpful for uh, some people listening in the audience? Oh, that's a great question. Um, uh, Byron Katie, I mean, like anything she writes would be would be a good start. Any book by Byron Katie. Um, Men Search the Meaning. It's another book that... um, that really truly opened my eyes. Men Search for Meaning. Chasing the Scream is another book. Um, I've heard that several times. So I'm going to throw my hat in the ring and say, read Chasing the Scream. I'm going to do it for myself. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I highly recommend that book. And um, how do people find, speaking of highly recommending, um, you come highly recommended. And obviously your story is fascinating. And I think uh, you definitely are on a great mission. How can people find you? I am on Facebook. Um, I have a business page, Facebook page. Um, It's Passage, Family's Journey to Recovery. And I am also on LinkedIn. Um, My email address, myrecovery at passage.org. My website, www.passage.org. yeah, and I'm actually looking to get on TikTok soon, so <laughs> stay tuned for that. All right. Yeah, TikTok's yeah. become very popular. Um, I want to thank you so much for being on this podcast and for your candor. I think what you're doing is fabulous. And of course, since we're both all in the mental health arena, it's great to meet somebody else who is passionate about supporting and helping others in recovery. Thank you. Thank you. It's truly an honor that you invited me here on your podcast. I truly appreciate it. And um, the more people are out there doing this work, the better, because we absolutely need the support. Agreed. I'm going to ask you one more question before we go. Is do you have a favorite quote that you would like to share with the listeners? Um, yes, you create your reality. Did everybody hear that? You create your reality. I like it. It's simple. It's direct. And it's true. Well, again, uh, this is Candace Schoner with Speaking Candidly with Candace. And remember, every cloud has a silver lining.